We all have walls in our lives. Whether physical or spiritual, walls have the capability to enhance or divide our relationship with God and with other people. Throughout the month of August, V1 Church is walking through the book, Restoring the Walls, How to Rebuild and Renew Your Relationship with God by Edwin J. Perez. Let's join Pastor Edwin right now as he kicks off our series with a message called Inspecting the Walls of Our Soul. Hey, what's going on V1 Church? This is Pastor Eddie and I wanna welcome you to Sunday's service. Before we begin, can we just give it up for our lead pastors, Pastor Mike and Pastor Julie? We're coming off an amazing series, The Way of Wisdom in the Book of Proverbs. How many of you enjoyed that service? So we are embarking on a new series entitled Restoring the Walls. And Restoring the Walls is a book that I've written two years ago, a book that I've written literally in tears, where God helped me to restore things in my life, restore my marriage, restore my relationships. And for the next couple of weeks, systematically, we're gonna be going through this book chapter by chapter. You're not only going to hear my heart, but you're gonna hear how God restored my life and you're gonna learn God's blueprint for restoring your own life here today. You know, the book of Proverbs talks about that a house is built on wisdom, but it is established by understanding. So that's what we're gonna learn in the entire month of August. We're gonna understand God's blueprint and how we can renew and restore our relationships with God. The title of today's message is Inspecting the Walls of Our Soul. So let's just talk about walls because walls, we see it every day. They come in all shapes and sizes. They're brick, they're concrete. Um, they're in every facet of life. But walls can either be physical, meaning maybe there's an illness maybe you're dealing with here today. Walls can be emotional. Maybe you're facing the death of a loved one. But walls can be also spiritual. Maybe there's a disconnect between you and God. Either way, we're going to consider the rows of walls in the book of Nehemiah and how walls relate to restoring our brokenness. And by the end of this series, I'm believing that each of you are going to learn the process of restoration, whether that be in your marriage, your home, your school, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But I want us to understand and focus on this, that God's grace in Christ fortifies the walls we need, but it tears down the ones that we don't. You know, walls have the capability to either enhance or divide our relationships. Walls can either separate or they can serve as necessary boundaries. Either way we look at it, walls are a part of our everyday lives. You know, growing up in New York City, some of us, we have this mentality of don't get too close. If you've ever ridden the bus or the subway, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're seated, the bus is full or the train is full and somebody sits right next to you and there's that feeling, right? It's this proximity of closeness that it puts us in this vulnerable position. It's this invasion of our privacy, right? Uh, that we protect and we rather choose isolation than association. But you know, Paul reminds us that now that we're in Christ, now that we are believers, we were once afar off, 
but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And here's something I want us to grasp, that the centrality of God's image is crucial to how we think about ourselves and about others. Here's the question, how are you viewing yourself, your neighbor, your spouse, your kids, in accordance with how God views you? You know, one thing is for sure that the enemy loves to divide and conquer because he understands that unity is equated with strength and he will do his very best to try to bring about separation. You know, to divide and conquer is this military tactic that was used in operation that it, was tr it would try to weaken the enemy. But God's economy is not meant to be divided. Remember what Jesus said? I and the Father are one. When you call yourself a Christian, you are self-identifying with the centrality of God's image. Jesus chose 12. He ate with them. He worked with them. He prayed with them. He shared a close bond with them. So church, if your community of friends are war breakers instead of war makers, or everyone looks exactly the same as you, then there needs to be a deconstruction of those walls. Because even Jesus had a Judas. Come on now. Even Jesus had a Judas in his circle. And regardless of what he was going to do, he loved him. Regardless of what he looked like, he loved him. There was no division in the heart of Jesus. If we are to tear down the walls of division, we need to experience the peace of Christ in our hearts. Turmoil inside causes division on the outside. A divided heart follows a divided attitude. And that's what scripture says. Scripture says that we are to live at peace, what? With everybody. Even though it's hard, we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to strive for peace. But James says this, that wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's what? It's peaceable. So how do we begin to rebuild? How do we begin to renew our relationship with God and with others? You know, in 2009, my wife and I, we, we purchased our first home and we're so excited, right? Uh, new homeowners. We were told by our agent that our home inspection had failed and that we couldn't move forward with the process. So we were devastated. <laughs> A home inspection is this, is something that ensures that the house is in good condition before you actually move in. And the inspector is not only someone that's qualified for the job, but, he's, but he or she is extremely meticulous in when they conduct their inspection. And the book of Nehemiah gives us this biblical account of inspection where God keeps his covenantal promise even with a people that have failed him time and time again. So let me give you some context. The nation of Israel right now is rebellious, right? They go on to have this rebellious attitude that caused them to fall to the Persian Empire. And God now sends a man named Nehemiah, whose name means the Lord comforts, to help bring glory back to the city. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. And it says this. 
And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Look what Nehemiah does. His first response there is that he's teaching us prayerful, prayerful humility before God. He's revealing what's important to us. When you pray, it really reveals what's important to you. So this is the scenario. The walls are broken down. Nehemiah is distraught. So what does he do? I want to give you three areas in your life where we need to inspect the walls of our soul. Three areas that we need to inspect before we can restore. The very first one is we need to inspect our vocation. We need to inspect our vocation. Let's look at Nehemiah 1 verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now check this out. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. See, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And his job was to taste the wine so that it wasn't poisonous, make sure that it was consumable before he gave it to the king. But being a royal cupbearer back in ancient antiquity meant more than a butler. It was a position of influence. So here Nehemiah is in this considerable position of influence. And now Nehemiah hears this report and he's instantly depressed. And he begins to do what? The first thing he does, pray and fast. So we see here that Nehemiah answers his vocation, his calling, not with action, but with attitude of prayer. Matter of fact, it said that this prayer lasted almost four months. Some of you, maybe you've been trying to hear God's calling for your life and it's been years. I want to tell you, you keep having that attitude. You keep having that action. You keep believing that God is going to call you because though it waits, it's going to come. I'm believing it. True vocation is confirmed by your unwavering resolve to be committed Right? It's this unwavering resolve, regardless of what Nehemiah was going to look like in front of the king. Even though it possibly it would have cost him his life, he still did it. A vocation or a calling is more than a career decision. It's this covenantal decree that God is your employer. And our rule of life should be in line with heaven's rulership. Do you know what's one of the most uh, dangerous jobs in this country? Snake milking. Never heard of it before, but that is one of the most dangerous jobs in this country. What is that? So what they do is they take these highly poisonous snakes and they extract the venom and they build up this anti-venom. Just a few drops of that can actually save thousands of lives. And do you know what's on the application of those that are snake milkers that you have to agree to? 
It actually says it on the application. It says you have to have courage. We are called as believers to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called to. We're supposed to have that courage. But does our commitment towards my vocation line up with the courage of my faith? Your vocation is this movement of living in and for the glory of God. Everything you do, your calling, your job, your entrepreneurship, whatever you have is for God's glory. And godly direction comes with proper inspection. Your primary call as a believer is to continuously form yourself in the likeness of Christ. So what's your calling? Have you inspected it? Have you decreed to God and say, you know what? I want to make sure that what I'm called to is in proper alignment with what you're doing in my life, with the calling that is sure in my life. So have you inspected your call here today? The second inspection that we learned from Nehemiah is that we need to inspect our vulnerability. That's the emotional aspect of it. Let's look at Nehemiah 2, verses 2 to 3. It says this, And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Notice here that Nehemiah's appearance now has changed, becoming sad in his presence. And this was unbecoming of any servant to be in royalty and to have this composure. You know, when I was a young boy, I lost my mother at a, at a very early age of my life. And I remember going to the funeral. Everybody was in mourning. Everybody was sad. I get to the casket and I just begin to just weep uncontrollably. And there's a, a family member there pulls me aside and looks directly at me and says, why are you crying? Real men don't cry. You know, when we're talking about vulnerability, it has to be more than a buzzword in pop culture that kind of parallels what's weak and what's strong, but its influence is a paradigm for the life that we are to live. You know, because we have that in this culture. We have this, well, if you're crying as a man, then you're weak. You can't show emotion in certain areas of your life. But vulnerability, what Nehemiah teaches us here is that it facilitates our dependence on God. Vulnerability facilitates our dependence on God and it acknowledges and ascribes worth to Him. I like what Proverbs says. Proverbs says that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. You know, Jesus was crucified in weakness. When he went into Jerusalem, he rode a donkey. He was betrayed by Judas and he was denied by Peter. And some will look at that and say, you're weak riding a donkey. You should have been riding a stallion. How can you 
the King of Kings be crucified. Can't you call on the angels to come? But Jesus didn't look at it like that. He died in vulnerability. To be vulnerable is an admission of our brokenness. It says that we are unfinished. We're an unfinished product. We're unperfect. We're experiencing the total depravity of being human. But the story doesn't end there. Because Nehemiah understands restorative vulnerability. God doesn't need the most powerful. God doesn't need the most influential cultural movers and shakers to get the job done. You know what God needs? God uses weak people to accomplish glorious purposes. I don't know about you, but when I read this word, all I see is weak, sinful people. But God does great and miraculous things through them. God uses weak people to accomplish glorious purposes. Somebody needs to hear that a second time. Even Paul said, I am content with weakness, but when I'm weak, it's then I'm strong. You know, when we talk about vulnerability, it connects us to people. But we must unlearn the habits of putting up a strong front. And we need to start being true to ourselves and start being true even behind the scenes. We need to become experts in our weakness. We need to be transparent with others. We need to be approachable. We need to keep it real. When you begin to explore your own vulnerability, it's an invitation for others to find comfort in their own vulnerability. That's what we learned from Nehemiah. And the third inspection is this that we need to inspect our vision. That's the spiritual part of it. We need to inspect our vision. Let's look at Nehemiah 2.4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I pray to the God of heaven. <clears throat> you see, Nehemiah's request here was a risky one, but notice that Nehemiah, he breaks out into spontaneous prayer. It was clear that Nehemiah wanted to make a request. And how many of our requests have been gone to the graves, right? Maybe you prayed for something and it's been years and you felt like it's in the grave and it's never to be restored again. I believe that God is taking your request here right now. And he's taking it from the cemetery and helping you to become a visionary. Maybe you're feeling unnamed right now, but you're not unknown to God. Either you're going to stand in the fear, in the presence of your earthly circumstance, or you're going to walk in the vision of your heavenly destiny. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's what we learned in Proverbs, right? Jacob caught the vision, right? When he saw the ladder that was set on earth to the heavens and the Lord stood there, Ezekiel saw the likeness of a throne and the appearance of the brightness and the glory of God. Isaiah, in the year King Uzziah died, saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. Daniel looked and thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. What that tells me, church, is this. We need heaven's vision to move us into proper position you got to start looking up 
You got to start allowing God to give you heaven's vision. Not what anybody else tells you. Not the vision for their circumstance. Not the vision for this corporation. Not the vision for this. Get in line with God's vision first. Request it. Pray on it. What kind of vision, what kind of request are you making? Nehemiah 2.5 says this, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. You know, Nehemiah, his body was in Persia, but his heart was in Jerusalem, almost 800 miles away. Because vision that has no favor is guided by misbehavior. Nehemiah knew that he needed to get the favor, not just of the king, and submit to his authority. He needed the favor of God. We need a vision that has a backing of heaven. So does your request have God's favor on it? Let's look at chapter 2, verse 15. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. Skip down to 17. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. I want to close by saying this. When Nehemiah uses that word inspected, it's a certain Hebrew word which means savar. That word savar means to examine. It means to inspect, but it means to hope for. And it doesn't just mean to hope for. When you say that word savar, it actually means to learn the information so that you're going to make a decision about that thing that you're observing. My prayer is to this, those that are watching here right now, say this with me aloud, savar my soul. Savar my soul, oh God. God, inspect my soul. Examine my soul so that I can hope for, so that I can learn the information that you have for my vocation, for my calling, so I can learn how to be vulnerable in your presence, so that I can learn to have heaven's vision. Savar my soul, oh God. Check my heart so that I know I can make a decision for you that is in proper alignment and God is going to rebuild and God is going to restore what years and years and years of addiction has ruined, what years and years and years of things in your life that has just been compressing you and depressing you. I believe God is going to restore you, but it has to begin here. You have to inspect it first. You got to say, Savar, my soul in every area of my life before the building process can even take place. It needs to be in the physical, my vocation. Maybe some of you, you're doubting your calling here today. I want you to do like Nehemiah and pray. Maybe some of you, you're, you're, it's hard to be vulnerable because culture and society have taught you that real men don't cry. 
You're supposed to look like everybody else, act like everybody else, be influential like everybody else. Cry in the presence of God. Be vulnerable in his sight. Maybe some of you, you lost that vision. You were doing so good in 2020, in, in, the, in the early stages, and then boom, everything hit. So you lost vision. I want to tell you, right now is the time for you to get back on track. Savar, my soul, oh God, help me to learn. Help me to hope for. So if that's you here today, I want you to understand that. That God's grace in Christ, it fortifies the walls you need but it's gonna tear down the ones that have been causing division. If that's you right now, I want you to just pray this. Dear Lord God, help me to savar my soul. Examine my heart. Tell me what it is that I need to learn from. Tell me what it is I need to glean from. I want to know you physically, spiritually, and emotionally. I want to put the totality of everything that I am into your being. Help me to learn. Help me to grow. Help me, to, even though the brokenness may be too much to bear, help me to know that you are there that you are near, and that you are helping to restore what's broken. I believe it here today. In Jesus' name, amen. That was an amazing message. Make sure you don't miss out on what God has for you next week as we continue our series, Restoring the Walls.